Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We've just had the wildcard weekend and it was super. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. Join us as we celebrate Lamar Jackson finally doing something in the postseason. And who else could join us but our friend Gordon McGuinness from BFF and the NFL Scotland podcast celebrating wildly all weekend on what was arguably, Gordon, one of the worst narratives going into the weekend. I think there were two big celebrations. There was that and then being able to wake up on Monday morning and find out that I'd been proven absolutely correct on another another <laughs> strong take I'd had. Now, now, smugness is not a good look on you. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. It was a great weekend of football. Ironically, I think the worst game, or arguably the second worst game, got the highest ratings, which was the, the Saints-Bears between CBS and, and Nickelodeon. So that that was kind of good. It might be the swearing on Nickelodeon that clinched it. I don't know, but <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't my favourite game. But I have to be honest, I think to get four decent games out of six isn't too bad a hit. And yep. actually, that, that Ravens-Titans one, and we'll come to it, was entertaining as well. I think the well, you're saying four decent games. What are the ones that you're writing off there? Well, the Saints game wasn't a decent yeah, game. Fine. As far, What's as far the other as I was one? Concerned. Uh, I didn't like Ram Seahawks. Yeah. I thought it stunk. See, I, I So I, I had this discussion as well. Where I, I was not as impressed with football team bucks as other people were, and I understand that Heineke played, you know, really well in that game and kind of kept it close. It felt that whole game though that the Bucks just kind of had them at arm's length. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like they made it. They made it interesting, but not. Whereas I thought Ram Seahawks was a weird game that started off dreadfully, and then had like a really bit in the middle where there were loads of really big plays, uh, and then died off at the end. So I kind of like that. I see. I think this is an expectation thing, though. I think I expected that Bucks Washington game to be absolutely terrible, and it was much closer. So immediately I'm like. Oh, this is a bit more. Uh, this isn't what I expected. And then I thought that Ram Seahawks game would have been better than it was. And I think that because, you know, you had an, an injured golf in there and you had some Russell Wilson imposter. Someone's kidnapped Russell Wilson, right? We need, we need to talk about this. Someone has kidnapped uh, first half of the season, Russell Wilson, and they've got him lo- under lock and key somewhere. I don't know where he is, but we need to find him, people. This is a pressing issue. Please, someone find and save Russell Wilson because this isn't the same guy. I don't think I don't think you're going to get him back either because um, the offensive coordinator I think is out in Seattle um, because Pete Carroll wants to run the ball more. Yeah. So you're you're not getting early season Russell Wilson back ever again. Yeah. I think I think he's in, in the Seattle autonomous zone and he never came out. <laughs> but if they do find him and he wants to come down to New Orleans because he wants to pass the ball. Come on down, we'll take you. He would make a nice backup to Jameis. <laughs> Jameis Winston loves to run the ball. That's fine. <laughs> you can send Jameis up to Seattle. I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. I think our secondary, could, even our crappy San Francisco secondary, could have a field day with Jameis Winston. Uh, I'm not changing my tune. He's still the number one uh, Saints quarterback next season. Um, right, okay, let's go Let's go through this in some kind of structure, though. And we'll start at the very top and work our way through. Uh, Colts-Bills, fascinating game. Bills, first playoff win since 1995. That's not even the longest drought that got destroyed this weekend, but it started off really, really well. Nervy game, though. Both teams just a little bit not quite 
firing on all cylinders. Do you think nerves was the reason behind that? Or do you think that these defences did a really good job of cancelling each other out? I think it's a little bit of both. I think nerves definitely played into that a little bit, but both defences were pretty good. I thought the Colts in general did a really good job hanging with the Bills more than I thought they would. And I think the fact that they were able to keep it fairly low scoring kind of made that possible. Um, and the, the only point where it got really questionable for the Colts was when they decided to try a Hail Mary with Philip Rivers from, you know, and in previous games when they've done that, they've brought Jacoby Brissett on to do it because he has the arm to reach the end zone. Rivers doesn't really. So I find it interesting that, you know, because it was a playoff game, you keep Rivers on the field. I would have probably gone with Brissett. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I don't know quite why they did that. And Philip Rivers probably himself knew that he wasn't going to get it to the end zone. I think in terms of American football, I think it's a sport when you see teams failing to make first downs and failing to score points and failing to... We don't always appreciate just how good the defences are. And I think that's what I was really seriously trying to watch the movement of the defences, seeing how they were trying to go. Normally, and I think most of us watch it from the offensive point of view, but I was trying to to watch that defensive point of view to see what they were doing. And I mean, we'll talk about the Ravens' D later on and how they managed to shut down Derek Henry. It is highly impressive. Sometimes I, th- I think in American football, we tend to see it as a, an inefficient offense rather than a really good defense. Before we go any further, Paul, have you changed your microphone? Uh, no, I haven't. No, that's but... fine. As you were leaning back there, you faded off slightly. Can you, on your drop down, change it to your headset? I don't I think it's I set up to. to. It could be, but it, when you sat back, it, it faded off. Yeah, no, it is, it is set to that one, don't worry. Is it? Yeah. Go okay, well, I presume, I presume you're going to edit this out, so yeah, yeah. If, yeah. if I take off the headset, are you still hearing me? Absolutely, yeah, exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. So if I do that, are you still hearing me? Yeah. Yeah. So let's click it to that. I think I'm going to have to get. What about now? Can you still hear me? Yeah. Yep. So yeah, this is is utterly bizarre. Uh, how it's and happened. and it's not changed. Like that's the thing. Like when you now speak, yeah. it's no different. It's it's coming through your main device. All right. So what you have to do now is you'll just need to sit forward and not lean back. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll I'll let you edit all that bit out. Yeah, then. totally so, fine. So so that makes no difference whatsoever. Nope, none at all. Okay. So then, so do you want? So if you count in, do you want me to reply to your thing about? Yes. Sometimes people think, okay. Five, four, three. Yeah, I think people often don't give defenses enough credit, especially today's NFL when everything is, you know, the offense is pushed as much as it is, um, and and sometimes in the playoffs, you know, all you need is a defense that can come up with a couple of big plays can stifle a couple of drives and I think that's what we saw from the Colts defense and defense and we'll skip through these games because we'll move on to the awards after this as well defense was a big part in the game in Seattle um obviously the the Rams and the Seahawks you know there's been a lot of talk about the Seahawks defense stepping up and being much improved the Rams defense we know exactly what it is now Aaron Donald kind of didn't finish up that game in the best shape um Jamal Adams Bit of a dirty hit uh, on the quarterback for the second season in a row. The Seahawks have kind of taken a quarterback out of the game in the postseason. Um, 
fine, let's give the benefit of the doubt, but obviously I worry to see uh, Walford back. Was that leave. the one that was that the one that they said wasn't a foul as well because he was a runner, and then the whoever it was that was the official that was in the booth with them was like, no, that's wrong. That yeah. is a foul. Like yeah. he he might be a runner at that point, but he's still like a defenseless player because he's given himself up. I, I couldn't believe they picked up that flag. Yes, yeah, I, I very surprised, and actually. Jamal Adams, uh, an interesting talking point that we'll probably cover in another podcast, but about to go and go through a whole load of surgeries. Two first-round picks, and I tell you what, he's not very good in coverage, is he? It's, it's a lot It's a lot to spend on a on a safety. Anytime you're given... I, I, I mean, I, I struggle to believe that you should give up two first-round picks for anyone that's not a quarterback. Um, it's a lot to give up, and, you know, I think there's loads of things he does really well. He's probably the best pass rusher that's not a defensive lineman in the entire NFL. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot to give up for a player who will, you know, he's not the dominant safety and coverage that you want him to be. No, he is, he is not without flaws. Good at what he does, not great at what he's not so good at, if that makes sense. Uh, I think, yeah. If you looked at his stats, you know, they'd be really stacked in certain areas and they would be quite, there'd be a bit of a deficit in the weaker ones. But obviously defense came out on top. Uh, defense had a part to play in the Washington Buccaneers game as well. Uh, as we talked about, the top there closer than we thought it might be. Um, Brady, I mean, he was slinging it around. 31 career playoff wins, most by a quarterback since 1950. So, I mean, you know, in the Super Bowl era, it's just record after record. Um, we'll come on to the old man matchup this weekend, but... Um, as for this one, he, he did what he needed to do against the Washington football team defense that's been impressive. Chase Young didn't really get to him all that much. Um, Bucks cruising. Yeah, I, see, I think Gordon was right. I thought it, I thought it was a fascinating game. I really enjoyed it, but that was good because of Taylor Heineke. I Gordon was right. At no point did I actually think Washington were going to win. Bucks were always just sort of meandering around third gear, could go up to fourth if they need. Always had a fifth gear ready for them. I think Heineke is a great story. I think it shows that he was much loved. It's interesting, a lot of the Washington players are coming out saying great things about him. You never heard them say that about Dwayne Haskins, um, you know, for example. And sometimes it can just be, I mean, Chase Young, yeah, he went up to Brady at the end, and I thought that was a lovely touch. He could easily sloped off the field in defeat, but, you know, he'd manned up. He said he'd wanted to face him, uh, and good on him for that. Interesting, I think every one of us tipped Washington to finish fourth in their division. Washington have had a hell of a season. It's been a great season for them. And they've got everything to play for going forward. But does anybody here think Taylor Heineke is going to take the first snap on opening day? Maybe. And so the interesting thing with Heineke, I remember uh, grading him for PFF when he was in college at Old Dominion and was one of the highest graded quarterbacks in college that year. Now, he, he played a, a significantly lower competition than, you know, your top quarterbacks. But he was someone that we kind of thought at the time is worth taking a flyer on. Um, and in the NFL, he's kind of bounced around, had like a little bit of success. It never had a game like he had uh, on, on Saturday night there. But I think worst case scenario for him, he's put himself in a position whereby Washington absolutely would want to have him on the roster on open day next year. Whether or not he's the starting quarterback, I would assume it's probably going to be Alex Smith. Um, but Heineke, I think, has earned the right to be in that room. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was going to use this to talk about the value of the uh, the the XFL in this case because of course he was with the Battlehawks, but he never actually played there. So you know, even even there, he's gone there. Isn't quite good enough to to get onto the field with the XFL that was sadly cut short. But then is good enough to come in and, and offer something to Washington in the postseason. It just shows that there is depth available to these players and you just need to give them their chance so again another one for um later on in the year for us to talk about but i think it shows that there is value uh, in some of these development leagues as well will be interesting to see who starts under center for washington next season but i think you're right there's a lot to like there's a lot of plus points there and we're i'm surprised at the season that they've had um it's been an awful lot better than i anticipated it would be helped by that absolutely bum division for sure but you know, there's a lot of turmoil and change in that division. You know, the Cowboys feel like they're still a bit away from getting their stuff sorted out. We've obviously got head coach change in uh, Philadelphia, which we'll cover later on, I'm sure. So, yeah, chance for them to grow on what they've built. Uh, talking about Cam- oh, Cameron, yeah. sorry, can I just, just interrupt you? This podcast is going really, really well. I think it's flowing. I think we're getting there. However, I've just had Mike Vrabel on the phone. And he said, would we mind punting at this point? <laughs> we've, got, we've got to talk about this. This, this was insane. Um, you know, A fourth down decision that me and Paul agree on. What, what's yeah, the world coming to? That's, that's how insane it is. Now, my eldest Adam told me something like, like 75 occasions that this has happened in playoffs, 75 times the teams have gone for it. What on earth was he doing in that game? going for a punt at that point. I mean, this is where, you know, you watch coaches and, you know, they do all the smart things. I love Mike Vrabel. I think he's brilliant. But sometimes the capacity to have a brain fart is incredible. The um, the great thing with that, there's a great Twitter account, which is, I think it's called the Surrender Index. And it <laughs> you'll see it pop up and it's about, it's effectively bad punts. And there was a couple this week. And what it'll do is, I, I think it's like a bot that's set up for, certain situations but if you punt from like fourth and short in your opposing opponent's territory it calculates like what the surrender index is and i think that was something like 130 it was in the hundredth percentile of punt of uh, surrender <laughs> punts this season and it was in the hundredth percentile of like the last 20 years or something like that just like an incredible decision and for the coach who last year told us all that he would cut his own off in order to make the Super Bowl and it turns out actually this year he just cut off his balls <laughs> um, What do you make of all the tetchiness, Gordon? And I'll let you weigh, weigh in on this one because obviously, right, so the, is it the was it Peters the, with the interception where he went over and sort of spun the ball on the logo I have no issue with that whatsoever personally but obviously, there's a bit of tetchiness has continued post game as well. What's your take on it? I, I love it. I love absolutely everything about that. Sports these days, everyone gets so caught up with sportsmanship and this, that, and the next thing. And Lamar Jackson took a knee, got off the field, had no interest in being there. And people, Patriots media of all people, were the ones who were most upset about sportsmanship. Um, I just they asked Lamar Jackson about it after the game, and he he was quite clear about it that last time they felt disrespected. So in the regular season game, before the game started, the entire Titans team gripped on the Ravens logo. They danced around. Malcolm Butler got into it with John Harbaugh, 
And Harbaugh and Vrabel then got into it with Harbaugh basically saying, like, just take your guys to the sideline and just let's play the game. Let's not. So the Ravens were up in arms with that. There was then stuff between Lamar Jackson and Malcolm Butler. So in the regular season game, Jackson scored a touchdown, went past Butler and kind of edged a shoulder into him just to nudge past him. Butler, um, after an interception in the game in the playoffs, went up to Lamar Jackson, stuck the middle finger up at him. Uh, so then, yeah, the Ravens decided we're going to dance on the logo. We're not, you know, we're not here to shake hands and be friends with you. This is a rivalry that has been going on in the NFL for like 20 odd years. The Ravens' biggest rivals were most hated teams. The Steelers, then it's probably a tie between the Titans and the Patriots because of postseason stuff there. Before you even then start again to like the Colts and the Browns and the Bengals and teams like that, they don't like each other. They've never liked each other. And I think it's great. Like sportsmanship is all lovely and great, but there's something really fun about teams that don't like each other. And, you know, we see it here in Scotland all the time. That the reason why people want to watch old firm games, if you're not a Rangers or Celtic fan is because there's going to be nonsense. There's going to be handbags. There's a chance that someone might elbow or punch someone. Um, and that, I, I think that's great in sport. I think the the only disappointing thing is that the Ravens and the Titans aren't scheduled to meet in the regular season next season. Nope. So that's a that's a real shame. I love weird beef is what I'd like to call this. From an outsider looking in, teams that you're like, where does this beef come from? And then you find out the story. It's like the Dunfermline Falkirk thing as well. <laughs> like they hate each other. And you're like What's going on? And then obviously there's a whole story there and it's all very crappy and disrespectful. Um, and then you're like, ah, right, okay. And it's just weird beef. Um, and this is definitely one of the weird beef stories. There's another one as well that seems to be brewing uh, between the Saints and the Bears. Weird beef. Uh, Bears players just love getting chucked out the game against the Saints, fl- throwing punches at people. What are you doing? Two games in a row. Just... Mental. I mean, bizarre. So we've we've moved on. I don't know if you've noticed. We've moved on to that game. But um, the the Bears had no wide receivers as it was. So to go and do that, Anthony Miller, what are you doing? What are you doing? And if you, uh, if you can get wound up by people, then that's your problem. And Chelsea well, Garner, brilliant. But this is the is, second player he's had ejected yeah. this season. He's good yeah, at it. Like it is. You know, I mean, this is people sometimes forget because it's sanitized and seen on television. It is professional sport. They are going out to win. They will play by the rules, but they will take those rules as if they were an elastic band and stretch them to the very, very edge and hope that they're going to get away with something. That's what professional sports people do. Even, you know, arguably the most sporting people, you take it to the edge. You know, I mean, I was football match last night, there was a guy who didn't go down when he could have gone down under a challenge. Personally, I think, you know, it would have been harsh if there'd been a penalty. But you could, you know, some players would say, well, I'll let the referee decide. I'll go down if he touch me. There are things in sport that these guys are playing to win for win bonuses for, you know, the chance to go through. I detest cheating, but if you want to stretch the rules, that's fine. Go for it. Listen, Gardner Johnson, the Bears knew what he was all about. It was Gardner Johnson that forced this. They'd been warned going into the game. Gardner Johnson is such a character that even his own teammate punched him. Michael Thomas punched him in a practice, right? When your own teammate's wanting to punch you, right? This guy is going to goad you. Now, 
he's playing an interesting game, Gardner Johnson, because at some point he's going to come up against a big old back or a big old wide receiver that's going to go, boom, take some of that. Um, and that's not going to land very well. So, um, yes. But they absolutely should. That Their game plan this week, when they play the Bucks, should be Chauncey Gardner. Yeah. Johnson Gardner Johnson, that's it, isn't it? That's I'm putting Gronk yeah. and Mike Evans on him, and I'm saying go smash him. Go no, I'm, put, smash I'm putting him on Antonio Brown, and I'm saying oh, do us a favour, yes. get Antonio Brown ejected from this game, please. And I reckon he can do it in five minutes. <laughs> but if you're the Bucks, if you're the Bucks, you're putting Gronk or Mike Evans on him, and you're yep. saying right, try and hit him. Just give him a little bit and wind him up because. Inevitably, people like that have the tendency to probably react themselves. So unless you are just an absolute one, and if you're good at being the one, then you can take a bit of a beating yourself. But you've already won because you're inside your opponent's head. Yeah, it's as simple as that. You know, if the Bucks do anything uh, against our, our soon-to-be sainted uh, Garner Johnson, then you know you're you're in their head already and it's not for footballing reasons so i think i think it's i think it's terrific from that point of view i mean i think we should gloss over most of the the, the bears game and let's not mention Drew Brees giving it big licks at the end when he actually didn't get the ball in because i must admit on first look i didn't think it was a touchdown uh but the bears just got rolled over the bears does it help them making the playoffs not particularly i don't think it doesn't answer a lot of questions because their offense was anemic Jimmy Graham's catch, we've got to give a shout-out to that. That was just stunning in garbage time at the end. But St- Stunning unless you were a better and bet on the Bears to cover because the fact that they didn't, I think they can choose whether or not to kick the extra point yes. meant that they did not cover. I was not someone who bet on the Bears because I value my sanity somewhat. <laughs> I thought it was interesting as well that the Bears have now announced that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are coming back and our own Charles Patterson his reaction to that in our group chat was just about 35 ha-ha-has. Uh, so he's obviously, as a Packers fan, not particularly concerned about uh, them coming back. Yes. Um, and then on to the final game then, just to wrap things up. Probably the one that's got, I think, some of the biggest talking points is the Cleveland Browns winning their first playoff game since 1994. Now, we've talked about you know some narratives that have gone away, and there's three... Actually, there's four biggies for me. Um, I think that there's four stories that are now completely done um, as far as stories go. One of them is the Buffalo Bills and them not winning in the postseason. One of them is obviously the Browns and them not winning in the postseason. We've obviously tucked on the Lamar Jackson one. And then the last myth is that the Seahawks' defense is decent because they lost to back up Jared Goff with a broken (laughs) thumb. Um, But let's bring it back to the Browns. And right away, from the off, it was a Steelers shambles. An absolute... I mean, that first quarter, genuinely, I sat just dumbstruck. Uh, And if you think I look dumbstruck, it was a very similar look on uh, Ben Roethlisberger's face as that ball sailed high over his head early on. But it was just catastrophic. It's, um, it's, I think there's so much about that, and I'm going to try and hide my delight because (laughs) it was an entertaining game and an interesting game from a couple of different perspectives. But the... The Marquise Pouncey thing. We we had a discussion, I think, when we did our live show around Thanksgiving, and someone asked for who we thought the most overrated player in the NFL was, and Pouncey was my pick for that. And it's something that a PFF we've got into it with, quote unquote, offensive line Twitter about this a few times. 
Um, offensive line Twitter love Marquis Bouncy because he's a tough blocker um, and you know grinds people into the ground when he needs needs to. Marquis Bouncy is a centre who most seasons is within the top three of inaccurate snaps, and that's exactly what you saw on on that play there. And that type of play is like, do you remember when uh, the Broncos and Seahawks played in the Super Bowl? And there was something that was like a bad snap on the first play over the head of Peyton Manning. That, and I think that was just a safety rather than a touchdown. But straight away, that set the tone for this game, you're already in quicksand. And the Steelers in that first quarter were like a team in quicksand, chopping their feet as fast as they could to try and get out of it, just sinking further and further. But it just showed everything that people have said about that team. At 11-0... and 0, People called them overrated and Steelers fans and Steelers media were furious that this could, how could anyone say this? Big Ben's definitely an MVP candidate, quarterback, all this stuff. And then you saw the cracks start to um, start to show. They just weren't an efficient offense. They played against a load of backup quarterbacks. They played against third string quarterbacks and they just couldn't move the ball enough. And from an 11-0 and team, like an 11-5 and finish, including the playoffs, um, and yeah, like I, going into the playoffs, they felt like the third best team in the AFC North, despite the fact that they'd won it. And the, the big thing for me, going into week 17, I couldn't understand why the Steelers went into that game playing backups against the Browns. Because if you lose that game to the Browns, the odds are you're playing them again. And I don't know why you want to play a divisional opponent for a third time. And the Juju Smith-Schuster comments that came out in the the run-up, you know, this is the same Browns that I've played so many times before. Uh, Paul, it isn't clearly the same Browns that he's played many times before, and they showed that. Yeah, I've no problem with him saying it. If that's what he believes and if that's the approach you want to take, I think you can be slightly more tactful uh, and then say that after the game, once you've beaten them. Yeah, it's the same old Browns. We didn't expect much, whatever, whatever. Um, it's not like, I mean, one of the things is you guys know that I that I detest in sport is managers or players coming out trying to make a game a lot closer than it ever was going to be. I think the, the example I, I often use of this, I covered a, a Scotland women's international where Scotland were playing Belarus. And the Scotland coach came out and said, oh, they're a tough team. They're well organized. They'll do this. They'll do that. And they came to me to start the commentary. I said, look, if Scotland don't win by seven or eight tonight, it's a disaster for Scotland. We can't have stuff like this. You've got to be honest. Without and Scotland won nine nothing. It, it should be pointed out <laughs> on that occasion. You know, so I don't. Whereas Juju Schuster knew that the Browns were a good team. He knew they were a threat. So don't be an idiot and come out with stuff like that before the game because that doesn't help your your preparations. To me, it, it either either he doesn't believe it and therefore he's just being disingenuous. Or if he does believe it, then he's going to be ill-prepared to play in the game. I think the other thing that I found really interesting from uh, this weekend was the fact that the Chiefs are still the overwhelming favourite in the AFC. But if you asked them, or maybe didn't even ask them because they're not going to be scared of anyone, if you could map out the worst-case scenario for them in terms of who are the three offences that you would least like to have still in it, I think it would probably be the three teams that won. I think they would have far rather had Tennessee, uh, Indianapolis and Pittsburgh. The Browns in particular, I, I had this thought about five weeks ago. They are not anywhere near the best team in the NFL. You could make the case that they were close to being the worst team in the AFC playoff field. But of all the teams that the Chiefs potentially have to play, 
they would scare me a little bit because the Browns can start games very fast. We saw them start with 28 points against the Steelers. They did similar against the Titans um, about five, six weeks ago. They're a team that can put up points very quickly and put you in a position whereby you have to come back. And the Chiefs are perfectly capable of doing that. But it, it definitely, I, I, I think this game this weekend is a closer one than a lot of people think. Yeah, no, I, I think it probably, it, it could be. It definitely could be. Um, and I think that the the Browns defence did a decent job. I, I can't decide, though, whether or not this was on the Browns defence really stepping up or whether it was that the Steelers were just that bad and they've just absolutely sank off it because Ben Roethlisberger still managed to get 500 yards. He still managed to throw for four touchdowns, but he threw for four interceptions as well. There is no run game in uh, Pittsburgh, so I think most teams would have done that as well. But you can't ignore still the the impact that the defense had. So I, I kind of come out of it not really knowing what to expect from the Browns next. The one thing that they have done, though, is they've got rid of that little thing of doubt of, all oh, right, this is a postseason, the nerves. They'll be nervous against the, the Chiefs. Of course they will be. But they know they can win in the postseason because they've just done it. Uh, right away, Baker Mayfield's won in the postseason. So he knows he can go and do it. Baker Mayfield is unbeaten in the postseason. So, you know, he can go and do that. Uh, there's, there's things there that they can then carry forward that give them that little bit of momentum. Um, whether they can fully build on it or not, I don't know. And I think that, you know, we'll come on and talk about those games, but uh, they just want to make sure that they keep themselves relevant. Um, I like that Baker, Baker's like the pettiest quarterback in the NFL. And I, as much as I don't like the Browns, I love it. I love how pet he is. So coming off the field, he's shouting Browns as the Browns, which is what Juju said. And then he gets into his post-game interview and in the middle of the first question, he stops the guy, he takes his cap and he twists it backwards, which was a little shout out to his friend Colin Coward, who referred to him as a backwards hack kind of guy or something like that. So <laughs> I, I love that level of pettiness from a quarterback. Well, if, we, if we're talking about level of pettiness from the quarterback, what did you make of Lamar's Jackson's interview with CBS right after the game? Loved it. Be be honest. Like, they build it as everything was built up around that game, around a weird can Lamar Jackson win a playoff game. He, he'd lost two. It's a two-game sample size. They'd build it as Lamar against Derek Henry, despite the fact they don't play against each other. Um. And I think after that game, one, they don't like the Titans, so they weren't shy about that. I think they just wanted to move on. I, I think they were – this is a team that went 14-2 last year, felt like they were the best team in the NFL, got absolutely punked out of the playoffs by the Titans, and they've been waiting 12 months to get back to a point where, okay, we're now going to go try and win a Super Bowl again. Everything between then and now has just been filler. I think that's what you saw in the interview. It's interesting. I mean, I quite liked it, but I, I did think that he, could, he had no idea where the interviewer was. That, that was the only thing. She was halfway up the stand because the stupid, the, the sort of slightly OTT uh, COVID rules on that one. I don't know why they put her up in the stand. I don't know why that made it any easier. Honestly, it, it was like he was playing Where's Wally. He just kept <laughs> looking around trying to find out where she was, which I think added to it because he was being quite serious and quite honest. And before we move on to all our ball bags and awards and things like that. I think we've got to mention Derek Henry, 40 yards, 18 carries. I mean, that's incredible. You, you've got to turn to the guy who's a potential MVP. And I mean, the, the Ravens basically had his number all day and long. 
Yeah. yeah, and everything everything he got was effectively after contact. The Ravens very much defensively said, we're going to put bodies in the way. You're going to have to break something. You're going to have to break a long run, and he just couldn't the whole game. I am still of the opinion with Derek Henry, if you hit him in the first three steps, he's not going anywhere. If, if he can get momentum... You're struggling to stop him. He you, you want to hit him, not let him hit you. Yes. You, you yeah. want to be up in his face and you want to catch him before he's taken his fourth step. If he gets four solid steps untouched, then there's a good chance he's going to break one off. And he didn't. And the Ravens were on him fast. Uh, and that's kind of like what it felt like when Derek Henry first came into the league. You know, it, it felt like the Titans couldn't get him going. You could see he was capable. You could see if he could just get the space, he'd do the damage. If he cannot get the space, he can't do it. It's as simple as that. And I thought the Ravens did a really good job of that but yeah let's turn to the awards um so first up let's go through the belters john gemmel he says the browns missing players and coaches and blowing the doors off the steelers uh zero dark 40 belter is the browns putting 28 on the steelers in the first quarter sean black gotta be the bills and the browns breaking their playoff droughts Shawnee B says, Browns and Bills winning playoff games for the first time in 25-plus years. Lauren Callahan also says the Browns. From the opening snap, they kept the pressure on Pittsburgh and kept them on the back foot. Goat Designs, their belter is Cam Akers. Um, obviously had a good second part to his season. Uh, Phelps Spears, belter. Despite the Bills winning, I thought uh, Heineke was superb. Washington, much praised defense, let them down, not their offense. George Jackson's belter was the Browns for a fantastic display. Ricky Christie's belter was the Ravens' D for making King Henry look very unkinglike. Stephen Robertson, belter, the Nickelodeon coverage. Um, we'll come on to that in a second, I'm sure. Belter, uh, says Polly, Sean Payton for sportingly see through his promise to get slimed. As a result of this nomination, I'd also like to reach out to the good karma police for any divine inspiration they can provide on Sunday, as, of course, his... Buccaneers face your Saints. Uh, so there you go. Who gets your belter this week? Well, I mean, T Taylor Heineke, you've got to give a mention to you because, you know, coming off the street effectively to start a playoff game against the greatest quarterback of all time and not just shrink was absolutely tremendous. But you know me, I like teams who have not done something in a long time. The Browns to win a playoff game on the road for the first time since the 60s. The Browns. I think for me, apart from the horrendous forcing of Super Wildcard Weekend, which has no reason whatsoever, the fact that we now have six games on Wildcard Weekend is fantastic. And for the first attempt at that, it was great. Like you said, four or five really good games, um, getting wall-to-wall -wall football from you know 6 p.m. Saturday, 6 p.m. Sunday, it's tremendous. So I, I thought that showed that the NFL's decision to expand the playoffs by one team in each conference is probably a belter in itself. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. My belter is Nickelodeon. I think good on Nickelodeon for doing something a little bit different and trying to to make football much more accessible to a younger audience. I think things like that should be absolutely celebrated. I thought the slime zone was tremendous. Uh, I thought some of the rules explanations from young Sheldon were fun and witty. I thought the fact that they had someone in the booth that didn't know football, or at least was playing a part that she didn't know football, was good, and it allowed the conversation to flow in a very conversational way. Didn't feel forced, felt really good. I agree, Sean Payton getting slimed, good fun. Um, and in spite of some lowbrow uh, social media uh, channels trying to hijack it for their own lowbrow reasons, I'm not going to name names, but uh, that aside, I thought Nickelodeon did brilliantly. 
My only criticism would be I wasn't so keen on on the setup of having somebody who didn't appear to know much about it. Oh, I, I see. I like that. See, I thought that was a tad too contrived for for my for my own liking. Obviously, deliberately done. All these things are done. I didn't I didn't like that. I liked the graphics. I liked the slime idea. I like the opportunity to get involved in a slightly different way. Um, I, there were some great tweets, though. I mean, I, I get exactly where you're coming from, but I mean, there was things like you know. Daddy, can you explain why Mitch Trubisky was taken so high yeah. in the draft yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like yeah, that? Yeah. Was was just absolutely priceless. And how do you explain what a Taysom Hill is and stuff like that? So yeah, Nickelodeon do get credit. Yeah, absolutely right. Bowfin. So start from the top again. John Gemmell's Bowfin. The Bears' offense only nine three points really in a playoff game is piss poor in his words uh, zero dark 40 Bowfin Tomlin punts on his own 46 whilst down 12 points on a fourth and one in the fourth quarter Sean Black Bowfin Seahawks offense complete collapse Shawnee B Bowfin Matt Nagy's offense Lauren Callahan Bowfin Nickelodeon slime zone boo Lauren Callahan Sorry, a Nickelodeon slime zone. Like the young Sheldon rule descriptions, though, so not being a total grumpy old man. Yes, you are being a total grumpy old man. Um, so just bugger off. Um, Goat Designs, the Seahawks O-line, Bowfin. Uh, Philip Spears, Bowfin, the officials stating that Pascal did not fumble in the Colts' last drive. I may have shouted at my television. Yeah, that was a weird one. Anyway, uh, George Jackson, Bowfin, the Seahawks. That was a hard watch. Ricky Christie's Bowfin is the Seahawks offensive line for being shredded by a four-man rush for the entire game. The Rams only blitzed five times. Bowfin for Stephen Robertson was the Steelers. Nothing else needs said. Um, and Bowfin for Polly is the Seahawks offense for ruining my Super Bowl prediction. Who gets your Bowfin? And first of all, Lauren, you know I don't mean that. I love you, really. Anyway, Bowfin. <laughs> well, for my, for my youth music listening to days there is a song by dashboard confessional and there's a lyric i am right i swear i'm right swear i knew it all along the pittsburgh steelers are exactly who we thought they were so you're bowfin they were dreadful (laughs) they were dreadful from the moment that game kicked off they proved that they had no business being in the playoffs and they got exactly what they deserved and exactly what i said they were going to get and i'm Sorry to absolutely none of them, and especially Johnny Bailey. <laughs> who, when, we put, who, when we put our, our, our picks for the thing, I think it was me and Paul that picked the Browns, and he sent us a wee eyes emoji for picking that. That's exactly why we did it. <laughs> Look, I was taking shots at listeners of this podcast. <laughs> we're we're going to be losing people left, right, and centre. Jeez. Right, okay. I was going to say it's possibly not the way we wish to grow, but never mind. <laughs> we're taking uh, everyone with us, damn it. <laughs> I'm going to have another little pop at uh, CBS for bringing in Charles Davis so high on their list to pair with Iron Eagle. I don't think the pairing works. I think it's dull, and I think he's blunted Iron Eagle, but that that's not my Bowfin. My Bowfin is the Steelers fan who smashed his telly. I don't know if you've seen this on social media. You know, so the Steelers fan, obviously irate, goes away, wanders, gets a ladder, and smashes his telly, and, of course, somebody happens to film it. This is the most moronic pieces of social media content now if twitter wants to ban anything can we ban morons who think that this is a good idea because if you want to show yourself or film yourself smashing up a 300 dollar telly you are a complete and utter clown and then wanting to share it with the world it's so contrived it's so prearranged it's so horrible get off my twitter feed (laughs) 
I actually thought I actually thought you would have a bigger problem with his hairstyle. Well, I mean, yeah, okay, he was an idiot, but that you know, people can have bad hair. Not everybody's can have good hair like me, so you know, I can live with that. Right on to ball bags. Um, although I feel like we've already been there. John Gemmel, he's up first. Ball bag ref in the Bears game calling a penalty on Komet for giving the ball back to one of the other refs. Mm, yeah, I didn't agree with that one. Zero dark forty. Ball bag. Doug Peterson wins Philly the Super Bowl and gets fired. His GM drafts appallingly for seven years and keeps his job. So I'm assuming that that's a ball bag award for the Eagles. Uh, Sean Black, Vrabel punting on fourth and two inside the Ravens forty whilst trailing. Coward. Uh, Javen Wims for dropping that touchdown pass, says Shawnee B for Bobag. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, Lauren Callahan, Bobag, Juju, following in AB's footsteps. Definitely going down the route of some AB behaviour. Uh, Goat Designs also give their Bobag award to Juju. Philip Spears' Bobag is Jackson for walking off at the end. Um, Bobag for George Jackson is Anthony Miller getting himself ejected during the playoff game. Also, the commentator at the Bills Colts saying it would have been a catch if it landed in his hands. Geez, thanks for the insight. Um, <laughs> Ricky Christie, ball back. The ref that gave the 15-yard penalty against the Bears for the Cole Komet, giving him the football. Um, Stephen Robertson, ball back is Lamar for heading off at the end with no handshake. I get the rivalry, but the decent, but do the decent thing. And then last one is Polly Bobag, the nameless guy in Pittsburgh. Well, you could also argue, I mean, the Lamar Jackson thing, I mean, Big Ben sat on the bench. He hardly got off his backside, you know, to walk on the field to offer congratulations either. Uh, there's there's a reigning champion to this. Doug Peterson got himself fired, deservedly so, uh, for claiming that he made the changes to win the game. I have no problem, and let, let's just go over this, and anybody who missed this, I have no problem with him, him making that quarterback change for his team. But to come out and say he did it trying to win the game, nobody believed. His own players didn't believe him, and he's been given his books. It does feel like that's kind of blown up in his face at the point now. It's cost him his job. I'm sure that's not the only reason, but I'm sure it's not even close to the only reason. But there's obviously been mutterings about disharmony in Philadelphia, and I think that there's a lot more going on there than than we even know about. But yeah, so that's your Bob Ag. Uh, for me, I... Hmm. I, I need to think more about that. No, I don't. Anthony Miller. It's Anthony Miller all day long. You know better than that. This is the postseason, man. Fine, you're getting beat, but you're not out of the game. It wasn't a, a doing still at that point. To get yourself ejected when there's no other wide receivers, That's for, it's easy. It's Anthony Miller. Gordon. It's every single person who made any sort of big deal about the fact that Lamar Jackson hadn't won one of his two playoff games, including one where he was a rookie and literally all he did was run the ball with him. It was the dumbest narrative that made absolutely no sense. You'd seen him win a unanimous MVP the year before, and every single one of those idiots got exactly what he deserved when he scored what John Harbaugh called the greatest quarterback run he's seen in his life, and he's absolutely correct. Then the Titans had to see him high-step down the sideline, choose to lie down uh, inbounds, and win the game. A horrible, horrible narrative that was completely wrong, and it's been proven entirely stupid very quickly it's fair to say right okay that's the awards then and it's on from the awards to look ahead now to this weekend's action of course as we get down to the divisional rounds we've been joined now just back from the tony macaroni spaghetti had um in livingston where it's been an absolute washout charles parson good evening charles hello back from my day job which 
actually isn't covering the football. It's homeschooling my children at the moment, <laughs> if I'm being honest. By the way, all every listener out there who is in the same predicament that I am will empathise with the pain that is involved with looking at a PowerPoint that's designed for a primary four and not understanding it, because that is my <laughs> life at the moment. So going to Livingston and watching the game get called off was a minor bonus. Although I think it sums up my position in the circle of life where I go to Livingston and the game is postponed and Mitchell goes to Tanadice and watches a 50-yard screamer flying at the back of the net. So that's that's just the way of it. What, what a goal that was and what terrific <laughs> commentary as well, should I say. I was stunned. I nearly looked down at my notes because play was in midfield and something actually kept my eyes up. And, and thankfully, because Shankland absolutely melted it from there. And listen, don't don't get too wrapped up in this. It's not all Rosie Rosie and uh, Shez Mitchell. He was supposed to be at Tanadice at the weekend as well and ended up at Bayview. So, you know, he's obviously upset someone. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was brilliant. I love I love Good Day's Fife. It was tremendous. Um, nice people. <laughs> Lovely people, absolutely. Um, right, okay, so let's get into this and let's do it in order. Uh, and Charles, as you've just joined us, we can give you the floor because the number one scoring offense comes up against the number one scoring defense as the Packers face the Rams. Uh, hardest defense you'll have faced this season, probably? Possibly. Um well, I mean, they're the number one, so by definition, yes. But you know, yeah, what? even even taking that aside, this is the the toughest defense. That you're it is. It is. I mean, it's the number one defense that I, I managed to allow. I can't remember how many ever points it was to lose to the Jets. So <laughs> let's not forget that. Um, I've point. been thinking a bit about this. I ha- I'm actually really looking forward to it, not just because you know it's the time that the Packers enter the playoffs, but I think that the juicy matchup that probably anybody who knows anything about this game is looking forward to is Devontae Adams up against Jalen Ramsey. Now you can look at this in a number of different ways. He is, I don't think there's any question that Jalen Ramsey is one of the top five players at his in on the defense, let alone at his position in the entire league. I mean, Aaron Donald's the best defensive player in the league and Jalen Ramsey is one of the top five defensive players in the league. And they're both going to be on the opposite side of the field to Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. It's going to be superb to watch. And there was going to be a chess match there. But the, the Adams-Ramsey matchup is the one that everyone's talking about. And the way I see this is there's two cliches. One is it's an offensive league. And the second is defense wins championships. Now, that is an age-old argument that has been put about for decades. I don't think it stands anymore. Um, I think it is an offensive league, and ultimately, you cannot keep the door shut all the time. Pass interference, um, offensive penalties happen, and Aaron Rodgers is a master of, of, of making defenses make mistakes. And as good as Jalen Ramsey is, if Aaron Rodgers has, has a clean pocket, and I think that's more important than anything else this week, if he has a clean pocket, he will make plays. Adams will catch the ball and he will put yards on Ramsey. And the other thing is that Adams moves around. He doesn't just play in one position. He plays out of the slot. He plays a third of his snaps out of the slot. Ramsey's going to have to go with him. And as, as good as Jalen Ramsey is, I cannot see him keeping Devonnie Adams quiet. All, all day or all afternoon. 
And that's why I'm confident about it. And I, the other thing is, I'm a glass half full guy. I'm not like you, Cameron, who <laughs> is the most negative person on the planet about his own team. I never backs the Niners on anything. I always look at it from the positive. I have never, ever not backed again back back the Packers. I am utterly confident that they will do the business this weekend. It's a bold start. I think you're right. Do you know the the Jalen Ramsey things? fascinating uh and i've spoken before uh, you know i don't like the the trash talk and all that kind of stuff but i actually think he's been a little bit more quiet in his own you know against himself um but you look at some of the numbers that had come out and this is notable wide receivers when guarded by ramsey um by some company called pff i believe that have released this one so uh week one against amari cooper V's Ramsey, seven receptions, 57 yards, zero touchdowns. Okay, I'd, I'd, actually, Cooper did all right there. Uh, week three, Stephon Diggs, one reception, four yards, and a touchdown. So, let a touchdown, but only one reception. Terry McLaurin in week five, zero receptions. Allen Robinson, week seven, one reception, 42 yards. DK Metcalf, week 10, zero receptions. Mike Evans, four receptions, 40 yards, week 11. DeAndre Hopkins, week 13, three receptions, 20 yards. DK Metcalf, week 16, one reception, 11 yards. You know, DK Metcalf in the wild card, three receptions, 33 yards. He's... He's done exactly what he needs to do, and whether it be the the coverage is such that the receiver can't make the plays, or actually by the very fact he's on them means that the quarterback looks elsewhere. I guess, though, with Aaron Rodgers, if you've got a quarterback that you want to have that's got the ability to look elsewhere and find targets, it's Aaron Rodgers. And Valdez Scantling, and, okay, Lazard, I'm not sure whether he's going to be fit or not. Even Aaron Jones out of the backfield. Robert Tonyan's obviously had a great season. Even if Devontae Adams has zero receptions in this game, there's enough weapons there for the Packers to do damage. Yeah, you got to pick your poison. Yeah. So, and ultimately, I said it at the top. I think if Rogers has a clean pocket and if he's protected, then I think I think he'll be fine. And that the biggest concern for me is the fact that David Bakhtiari is out. He blew his knee out on New Year's Eve, and they have they have played a game without him against the Bears who have a, a good defense and they didn't really touch him that day. Um, I mean, Rogers is getting the ball out quicker now than he ever has done in his career. And that is due to Matt LaFleur's game planning. Um, the big plays come off the play action. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, if he's fit, AJ Dillon, there's a, there's a lot of workhorse in the backfield there. And the X factor in all of this, let's be honest. Can you see the Rams competing in a shootout? I can't. They can't. I can't. I can't see them scoring points in at, in the cold at Lambeau, and Jared Goff's got a bust thumb. It's going to freeze up. It's minus five at kickoff time. These are all things that are weighed against Los Angeles. And you know what? Los Angeles are a good team on their day. I think they're as good as any team in the league. I cannot see them producing the goods week after week and going to the Super Bowl. And I think it stops here for them. I think the so everyone's going to talk about the. Packers offense against the Rams defense and for good reason Aaron Rodgers is potentially going to be the NFL MVP and on the other side Brandon Staley's put together like the people have talked for years about NFL defense needs to need to evolve to start to catch up with offenses and Staley's defense is a little bit like that um the way he attacks things the way he uh, attacks things in the running game and stuff like that people are really sleeping on the Packers' defensive backfield. I'm not even sure Jalen Ramsey is the best cornerback in this game. 
Um, certainly this season, Jair Alexander's up there with the best in the NFL. He's allowed less than 350 yards in coverage, like 13 pass breakups. He's only allowed two touchdowns. They've got Adrian Amos at safety, who's had a tremendous season as well. They have the players in the defensive backfield, to Charles's point, that I just don't see the Rams scoring that many points. I think their, their best hope is maybe to break some long runs with Cam Akers, you know, maybe get lucky with some stuff there. They're not going to consistently move the ball through the air against the Packers, I don't think, especially at Lambeau, especially in the cold. They've scored 30 points once since week six, and that was last week. Um, and that included a defensive touchdown and included having two quarterbacks playing. We don't even know who's going to start. So, and you could go on and start talking about whether Sean McVay believes in his quarterback or not and whether Jared Goff is the long-term answer there. I think Jared Goff is a perfectly functional quarterback when he's at his peak. I mean, he's, we've seen him put numbers up before, but there's not. It's, it comes down to weapons and it comes down to talent and good players and talent wins games. And there's enough talent on that LA Rams defense to cause a lot of problems for any team, but there's not enough talent on the offense for me that is going to tip the balance in their favor, especially on the road. I love the fact that the, the four NFC teams left One's a dome team. One plays in sunny Tampa and the other plays in sunny LA and the number one seed plays in the frozen North and you've got to get to the Super Bowl by going through Lambeau and it's going to be really tough. I think it is going to be tough. I mean, but if you look at all four of these games, if the Rams were to beat the Packers, that would be the biggest shock out of them all. I don't think there's any other result that you could convince me that would be a bigger shock than that in the playoffs. Any round of the playoffs. Browns beating uh, the Chiefs? No, I wouldn't surprise me. I think they're good enough. I think their talent level is good enough. Uh, I don't see the Rams beating the Packers whatsoever. Um, people know I'm not the biggest fan of the Rams. I think they're functional at the moment. I don't think they're particularly exciting. Acres may be the best chance to break free. Um, the only trouble that Aaron Rodgers is going to face in the next week or so is apparently he's he's jumped early on the announcement that he's going to be guest hosting Jeopardy. He shouldn't have told people this, apparently. That's about the only issue he's going to have. <laughs> so the bookies have it, uh, the Packers buy a touchdown, which isn't the biggest spread of the weekend. Um, uh, that is the Browns Chiefs, but I think, yeah. I, th- I think that's a fair... I think that's a fair argument, and you know they have not they've not set the house on fire in the last six or seven weeks. But when the the, the thing is that they can strike from anywhere, and the Rams you can you see the Rams lobbing a fifty yard touchdown, and and going on a, a ninety second drive and scoring when they need to. I can't see it, especially I mean their their focus is the running game. They've got a good running game, and if you were to talk about this matchup maybe ten weeks ago you would be worried about the, the defensive front of um, Green Bay because they couldn't stop the run at all. I mean, they've historically been bad at stopping the run, but it has got better. The defense has got back better since the start of December um, and there's a bit more depth there. And they've not, do you know, they've not really been affected that much by injuries. Bakhtiari's is the first really bad injury that they've suffered this season. And I just, you just feel that the pieces are all coming together and this is the year and... I look back over the last decade, the number of near misses and all the playoff heartache and going 15 and one in 2011, then losing at home to the Giants. And then the nightmare in Seattle with that ridiculous loss 
back in 2014. And then look at last year over in San Francisco, you know, all those championship game losses that they've had in the last decade. Everything is coming together. And I can't see a scenario this week where that is going to be upset, frankly. The LA have got to play a perfect game in my view. Indeed. Right, what we're going to do is, obviously, we've been doing the pick six all season long. Uh, we're down to the final, what have we got left, seven games of the season. So we did this last week. We'll go through these games. We'll each pick um, who we are putting down for the pick six this week. It's pretty tight between me, Gordon, and Ian at the top. I think there is only two. So there's Gordon is only one pick behind me, and then Ian is only one pick behind Gordon. So to make this fair, everyone will start a game and we'll work around in a rotation. Uh, obviously, because you are um, a Packers fan, Charles, I pretty much know what you're going to go for, but we'll go with you first. Then we'll do Gordon, myself, and then Paul. Uh, and then we'll rotate that round so everybody follows everybody, pretty much. Um, well, we don't need to worry about Paul all that much. He's well out of it. So, <laughs> um, so Packers, I assume, Mr. Patterson? Yes. yes. Is the sky blue? <laughs> Mr. McGuinness? Yeah, I'm going Green Bay. As am I. Mr. Mitchell. Well, the reason I'm behind is I took some outrageous picks, all of which I think fail by a score or less to try and catch up. And there's a few teams that are now on my shit list, but I'm still not stupid enough to pick the Rams. Listen, Packers. the way that you've performed in this pick six, you should be on your own shit list. What's your pick for this one? I'm going with the Packers. I told you I gambled <laughs> deliberately to try and catch up with you and it uh, it didn't work <laughs> all right on to the next one the baltimore ravens also well, i mean this is less of our traveling to the cold although it's cold but baltimore is not exactly tropical is it uh baltimore going to buffalo um a really fascinating tie this one and i think for me the packers rams feels like the talk is the offense versus the defense but genuinely this one feels like uh, two very solid all-round teams up against each other, Gordon. Yeah, and I think that... <laughs> so the first thing for me is that having gone through the playoffs last year where the Ravens lost to the Titans, and like you at 14-2, and two, you expected to win. Uh, so that was stressful and that was frustrating. After they won last week, I now feel, from like a fan's perspective watching this, it's a little bit like playing with house money. I don't expect them to go and win the Super Bowl this year. They're in the same conference as the Chiefs. I don't necessarily think I expect them to win this week. But the way they played at the end of that Titans game, I think they're going to play looser than they did against the Titans um, in the playoffs. And I think if I was the Ravens, my game plan would be run Lamar Jackson 20 times if I need to. Just don't worry about anything else. The, the Ravens running game, there was a couple of plays in that Titans game Throughout the game, they, they actually did a, a really good job for probably about 80% of Lamar Jackson's runs of staying disciplined and keeping yourself in position. And Lamar Jackson finished with 137 yards on the ground because basically on two carries, he absolutely destroyed them up the middle in the scramble. And then the run that sealed the game, they got caught on quarterback counter. Uh, two players got themselves out of position. Easy blocks for the Ravens pullers shove them out of the way, and all of a sudden you've given one of the best athletes in the NFL a chasm to run through. That's the problem that the Ravens' offense gives any defense in the NFL. The flip side of that is Josh Allen is the type of quarterback that the Ravens' defense is more likely to struggle with, I think. 
a guy who will just throw it and just take chances. Like, th- there's a very good chance that Josh Allen is the reason that the Bills win or lose this game because some of it, we saw him the throw in the Colts game, falling down, throwing the ball into the end zone. You do that 10 times, twice it'll get returned for a touchdown, twice it'll be a touchdown, and the other six times it'll be an incompletion. So there's a there's a wide range of things that happen when he does that. And in this game, if they go for touchdowns, the Bills win. If they go for interceptions, the Ravens win. The other thing, I think you mentioned Josh Allen there, that they, they can't do, which they did successfully against Tennessee, is... Th- they, they, they have to you know legitimately look at Josh Allen as a running threat as well. There was one play which was a design quarterback draw last week, which Josh Allen ran, and he just bulldozed his way through about three players. I think it was just before halftime. And he, he can do everything. I think his rise has been probably, along with the Browns getting to the playoffs, the most exciting story of the entire season. Because when he was drafted, people thought he was wildly inaccurate and was basically a a total gamble and he has proved that he is one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league now he's phenomenal to watch he's so exciting to watch and they they stuffed Derrick Henry and Tennessee so many times last week I mean there was that ridiculous fourth and two that they punted Tennessee and why do you not get Derrick Henry out well he had been completely neutralized that's the kind of play that if you have Buffalo and they're facing the same situation Josh Allen will just bulldoze over somebody because he can do that. And that's another weapon that I think Baltimore are going to struggle to probably deal with. And I don't, I'm not sure that, I mean, Buffalo's defense is better than t- Tennessee's. I'm not sure that in, if it gets to a shootout and Allen is, is playing well and they're scoring points, I'm not sure, even if you're, if you are Lamar Jackson, you're running for 150 yards, I'm not sure you can keep up. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think that, if you look at the games that they've just come from, um, you know, the Ravens had to protect against the run with Tennessee. They knew that's where it was going to, the threat was going to come from. And I guess with Buffalo, the run is not really part of their game. So they know that they're going to have to stop Allen through the air. But by the very fact you're doing that, you're going to create more spaces for him to use his own legs and get a few more, you know, yards on the ground. Uh, and I wonder how much the game plan changes on that. Similarly for Buffalo, they are going from a team where obviously you've got Jonathan Taylor as the running threat, Hines and what have you, but it's not the same running threat at all. And you know that Felt Rivers is capable of punishing you through the air and is going to do that. This time, Buffalo are going to have to set up to stop the run. Uh, and that has got to be the number one thing. Uh, J.K. Dobbins obviously has really come on to be a, an exciting player. For me, this is the toughest game to call, and I genuinely don't know where to come down on this. It really is. I, it, this is as simple as it's. And this is such a stupid statement. Of course it is, but this genuinely is going to be won by the team that turns up the best on the day, because they're both capable of beating each other. Absolutely no problem at all. Um, what, I, what I think is really interesting here is that the Bills have. So the Bills very much buy into the idea that you don't really need to stop the run in the NFL. When they lost to the Chiefs earlier in the season, and I think this was a brilliant game plan, they went into the game plan against the Chiefs. They gave them light boxes to run into, and they said, take five yards, take four or five yards here and there. Every now and again, you're going to do that. You're going to get yourself in third and seven, and that's a down we can win on. If the Bills treat the Ravens like that, 
and say, we're going to let you run the ball. And if they put six in the box against the Ravens, the Ravens will run for 500 yards. Yeah. Like you, you can't, you can't do that against because the, the way they run the ball is completely different. So you, I think, and I think the Bills had the pieces on defense to play the Ravens the, the best way you can. And it's similar to what Tennessee did. You need speed. You need an extra defensive back, like a, a safety that you can bring in as a linebacker that gives you additional speed to try and slow stuff from getting outside. But from the Ravens a year ago where they struggled with that, they've got significantly better at running up the middle and they're not afraid to run Lamar Jackson up the middle now. So if you bring a safety down, they're now quite happy to run at you. So I think it's going to be a really interesting chess match between two of the best coach teams in the NFL as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Mitchell? This is difficult from the simple point of view. I mean, I can't go into as in-depth as you did with your CBS style of analysis there. That was tremendous. Um, you know, if the ball had gone in, it would have been a goal. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you look at it and you do wonder. I've got a sneaky feeling the Ravens can win this. Uh, for, for the reasons that Gordon's outlined, I think the Bills are vulnerable in certain areas and the Ravens are peaking at the right time. And there's just something in me that, that says the Ravens are going to do this. So I'm, I'm going to go with them. I start to believe in them. I think they've got enough of a defense. It, it will turn on a couple of plays, most likely interceptions and things like that. It normally does. I mean, this, this to me is the closest. And if you gave me a choice of all the games to watch, this is the game I would pick to watch. Yeah. If, if, there was, if you were picking a quarterback who's going to throw a pick in this game, that, that ultimately I think is going to come down to it. Because at some point, Lamar Jackson is going to have to make a throw at some point in the game, he will need to to make a play without making a play with his with his legs. He'll be in a third and 10 or a third and 15. And if he does turn the ball over like he did, that was a horrible interception in the first half last week. If he does that and then the Bills make a play on it, then that could be costly. Equally, we have seen Josh Allen make mistakes before, but I know you were saying prior to last week's game, well, it's going to come down to whether he makes mistakes or not. He doesn't look like he is going to, to error anytime soon. He looks full of confidence. He looks so at peace in what he needs to do. And the only wobble was when he fumbled the ball towards the end of that game. Um, so I, I think if, you know, at some point, someone's going to make a mistake there. And I think that could be the coin flip there. Yeah, see, this is... Uh, and it's going to snow. <laughs> this is going to come down to one or two points. I genuinely think there's going to be one or two points split these team. It's going to be tight. Gordon, your little butt's going to be twitching away for three and a half hours as you watch this. It's going also, to be a... I'm absolutely furious that it's the 1am game on Saturday I know. because <laughs> I just... I'm like 34 now and I'm really fed up of staying up late for games. Like I got in a really nice habit of watching games on Gaming 40 on Game Pass the following morning. Did that this week for the... Uh, Buccaneers football team. I did it for the Steelers-Browns. Great. Can't watch the Ravens in game in 40, especially in a playoff game. I'm going to have to stay up. So it just means I'm going to be tired on Sunday, which is a pain in the ass. <laughs> just shift your body to American hours for a weekend. You'll be fine. No, oh, I, I did that as a kid. I did, like, I used to live basically in American time. You're 34, man. Jesus Christ. It's old. It's old. I can't, I can't do it anymore. I would be careful if I were you talking about age on this podcast. <laughs> Are, are we talking about experience here or age? 
<laughs> I'll tell you that I I will watch the game in full uh, on on Sunday morning because uh, I will get up early enough to do so before I go out. So that that's certainly my plan. Uh, I think I think it's going to be a great game, and yeah, it's unfortunate the time doesn't quite work um, for Gordon, but you know. And also, I mean, the other thing is we can't bombard them with texts if it's all going wrong. So that's that's the unfortunate thing as well. Oh, I, if I know he's setting everything. up, if I know he's setting up, he's getting bombarded. The rest of you just better <laughs> mute your phone because uh, it's happening. I'll be sitting up too watching that one. Absolutely. Sunday night game, I might wait till the Monday morning, but Saturday night, I'll be sitting up watching that for sure. Um, it's pretty much the last, it's the last super late game of the season. There's not another 1.30 a.m. kickoff after this one. So embrace it. Embrace it for all of it and all the pain that comes with it on a Sunday morning. But Mr. McGuinness, who are you picking? I Nothing would surprise me in this game. So if it's close either way or it's a blowout for either team, I can see like uh, like both quarterback can could have a stinker and it can be a blowout either way. I kind of find it hard to pick against the Bills this year. Um, I think the Bills and the Chiefs are the two best teams in the conference by a, a fairly comfortable margin. Um, so I'm going to go Bills. All right. Um, I'm going to go against you. and I'm going to think that the Ravens win this one. I think Good. That, that was the that was the other reason why I picked the Bills, because I'm trying to catch that game up. <laughs> and I figured this was the game I could swing it. I think that, that yeah, yeah, I think that the Ravens, there's enough talent there. It's going to be a tough game, and they're going to need to be at their absolute best. But I think that monkey off their back last week by getting that win, um, Lamar can win in the postseason, and he's going to show us again that he can do it. So I've got the Ravens. Mr. Mitchell, you've already said the Ravens. You sticking with that? Yeah. And Charles? I am going to take Buffalo for two reasons. One, because the Bills, I think, have got just a little bit more firepower. And secondly, because if it does snow, I think Lamar is going to get stuck in a snowdrift. Oh, I, see, if it snows heavily, I think the Bills are in trouble. Like, would you really want to try and tackle Lamar Jackson when he knows where he's going and you don't on, like, snowy ground? I want no part of that. If it snows heavily, if, well, if it, you're... You're going to go to the run game as well. And yeah, just if, no it, run if it's game cold, and, yeah. cold and windy, I think that helps the Bills. If it snows heavily, I think that favours the Ravens. Yeah. What's the name of the big, massive fullback that you've got? Alan Ricard. Yeah, just give it to Ricard. Just bowl him. You could like almost like slide him along the ground in the snow. Just like plow through the defense. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'd love that. That'd be worth setting up for. Um, all right. I'll take the next game as the lead because I have no skin in the game. So I'm going team Scottish Hammer um, as the Cleveland Browns face off against the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, this is the lowest seed in the AFC versus the highest seed. No, it's not the lowest seed in the AFC, was it? It was the second lowest. Uh, uh, no, they were seven. Yeah, uh, who was seven? Oh, Indy. Yeah, yes, because they That's played right. the Bills. So second lowest um, up against the number one seed uh, in the AFC and probably in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. And yeah, I, we've touched on this already, but really, if there's any chance for the Browns to win this, they need to be at their absolute best. They need to find a way to get points on pretty much every drive and they need to get a couple of big stops now there's been the odd game that's been a bit weird with Mahomes um, and actually 
they're kind of almost hoping for that, that Mahomes has a has a bad one, a couple of mistakes early that puts them on the back foot. Although we remember what they did to the Texans and the Titans last offseason and the Niners in the Super Bowl. You know, you can't count them out. So the Browns need to have a start like they did against the Steelers and then maintain all the way through. It's stacked against them. It's not impossible. It might feel improbable. There's a 10-point swing. The Chiefs are winning this. I, I have to completely flip that argument on its head. I don't see any reason why Cleveland can't score the same number of points this week that they did last week. I mean, they went up against the best defense in the league last week, um, arguably, in terms of its not just its reputation, but its pass rush. And they coped easily. And they had no head coach. <laughs> and they, 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 they scored 48 points. I mean, that Cleveland... The thing about Cleveland is... I think there's a multi- multitude of sort of negativity around the, the whole franchise because of how bad they've been over the years. But again, it comes back to weapons. Look what they've got. They've got the best running back duo in the league. They've got a quarterback who is playing with confidence and has, okay, Beckham has not been available for half of the season, but ever since he's been out. They've been better. Baker Mayfield, <laughs> Baker, well, probably a good thing because Baker Mayfield has been nigh on perfect. Yeah. In the second half of the season, he has a, a big play receiver in Jarvis Landry, who you can. Re- Jarvis Landry reminds me of um, you know, the the old Steelers fans will remember Heinz Ward. Heinz Ward, you could re- you could remember he would pick up he would pick every pass that was going his way. He never dropped a pass. I have not seen Jar- Jarvis Landry make a bad play this year. When um, when he's needed to make a play, Baker Mayfield's gone his way and he has delivered. And he's got tight ends in there and a speedster in. in Donovan Peoples-Jones. Oh, that'll be the cat that's just knocked the piano over, by the way. <laughs> knocked the piano uh, over? How big's your cat? Jeez. Well, or, pi- or how small is your piano? <laughs> oh, this is live recording as well. The cat is now getting evicted from the room. <laughs> Keep this in. Anyway, lost my train of thought now. Um, getting back to... You know, I was talking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the cat interferes. Um... The, I can't see how they're not going to score points. I cannot see how Kansas City's defense, which is average at best and at times pretty ropey, is is going to cause that many problems for Baker Mayfield. He's got the best offensive line in the league to protect him. He will get time to throw. And this is going to be a shootout. And there's n- anyone who turns around and says that Cleveland can't keep up with Kansas City. Well, Kansas City have not been the Chiefs that we saw last year in the playoffs. They have not been blowing teams out. This is a dangerous game for the Chiefs. Really dangerous game for me. I, I, I agree. I, I, agree. The, I agree. Sorry, yeah, can you go, Gordon? I, I think this is probably the worst opponent that the Chiefs could have had in the divisional round. If the Browns lose this game by 30 points, no one cares. I don't think they're going to lose by 30 points, but no one... Like Cleveland fans will be upset for like a short amount of time. And it's also a weird, this is a weird game. And it's probably one of the few times that I would say for the Chiefs, it being a shootout is probably not what they want. Because if it's a shootout, that means they haven't been able to slow the Browns offense down. The one thing that would really scare me if I were the Chiefs is that. So scripted plays are generally like the first 15 plays in a game that the team have worked on. They know what's going to happen. You know, they'll deviate and all those things. The Browns were ridiculously efficient on the first 15 plays against the Steelers. And that's why they were able to survive not having a head coach in the game because they jumped out to such a big lead because all that stuff was already installed. 
they absolutely decimated the Titans when they played them earlier in the season. And it was the same. It was those first 15 plays jumped out to such a hot start on that. If the Chiefs can stop the Browns from scoring, I reckon the Browns have to score on their on two out of their first three drives, touchdowns, then I think the Browns have a chance. If the Chiefs stop them scoring on those first three drives, Cleveland get in a position where they're out of their scripted plays. They're probably then chasing the game. They're not going to be able to rely on the running game as much at that point, and that's when it could get a little bit dicey for them. But if the Browns start this game, and if the Browns go touchdown, 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 Kansas City are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, I think they're more than capable. I think they've got the weapons, they've got the foundation in the running game. You know, addition by subtraction, I think they're better off without Odell Beckham Jr. Um, they might not get called for cat interference, which we've obviously just had to call Charles on as well. Um, and for anybody who watches Game Pass, the, the one thing that, that worries me is Baker Mayfield seems to have a problem. He seems to think he lives in the stadium uh, and keeps forgetting his keys. So I think that that's two things that would worry me. I like watching the Browns. What we tend to forget is that they are composed of a real a lot of high draft picks. You know, I mean, the coaching fiasco last year and all the problems that they had kind of overlooked the depth of talent they've got. I agree with the guys. I think, you know, the Chiefs would have been more than happy to see the Ravens roll into town. Not that it would have been an easier game in terms of, you know, the physicality or things, but I think they just match up a little bit better. So... Yeah, Cleveland go in there with a, with a chance. I still maintain they've got a better chance of beating the Chiefs than the Rams have of beating the Packers. There's going to be a shot this week. Um, there's no doubt that one of the, the teams on the road has is going to have a real shot in the fourth quarter to win the game. And it stacks for me that that is potentially the one that a lot of, lot of people will overlook because of who the Chiefs are. I can see the Browns winning that game. Fascinating. Right, well, there you go, eh? Um, I guess the one thing that may come into their benefit would be the the fitness and the general health of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Tyreek Hill, both who have returned to practice this week, but um, obviously there's a lot of time between now and the weekend. There's no guarantee that those guys will play if Tyreek Hill isn't available. Sammy Watkins didn't practice today. Um, Then obviously there's less options. Tyreek Hills would be a massive loss. Um, Travis Kelsey is almost unplayable when he's at his best. So, if, But then if the Browns can just figure out how to deal with him, then they've, they've got a chance. But do you know what? I, I'm standing with what I went with early. I, I see Kansas winning this. I see them winning by double digits. Not massive, uh, like 11-12, um, but I've got Kansas City. Paul? Yeah, Kansas City. I mean, I think Cleveland have got a chance, but Kansas are a Super Bowl pick, so I'm sticking with them. Charles. Well, I'm last in the pick'em, so I'm rolling the dice. I think Cleveland are going to win, and I think they're going to win. In uh, there's a, I believe in fairy tales. I, I would love to see Aaron Rodgers going up against Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, and if I'm being honest, I think it probably will happen. But I just. I have got a feeling in my gut that something's going on with Cleveland. I'm going to pick Cleveland this week. Tell you what, never mind the cat cat amongst the piano. That would be a cat amongst the pigeons if that happened for sure. (laughs) Um, That wasn't incidentally the MetLife cat that was in your house. Uh, It was the same color. We've not seen MetLife cat in a while, so, you know. Well, yeah, jumped on a ship and came over. (laughs) Yeah. and it is the same colour as MetLife Cat, but I obviously couldn't provide the the, the exquisite Kevin Harlan commentary on the, cat <laughs> on the piano over. 
Gordon. I really want to pick the Browns in this, but do I it, can't. Do it. I, I can't. Um, the, so the one thing, when you look back at, at last year, so if you want to compare where the AFC was last year, the, the Browns are the Titans, the Chiefs are the Ravens, the number one seed having the team that no one really expected to make the playoffs that pulled off the surprise win. The issue I have for the Browns in that regard is that Andy Reid's teams generally don't suffer from the same hangover from an extra bye week that a load of other teams seem to. And I just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes. It just, it seems like a, it seems like a mistake. So as much as I think the Browns have a chance and as much as I think there's a scenario where they can jump out to lead and make things difficult, I think the Chiefs are going to win. Okay. Mr. Mitchell, we will let you open the floor for the final game which is, of course, your good friends, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, making the fairly short journey across the water to the New Orleans Superdome to, to, beat, to beat the Saints or to be beaten by the Saints? Well, it depends on who you want to believe. If you want to believe the American national media, there's little point in the Saints turning up because the Bucks are the greatest thing since sliced bread, the greatest of all time. And, you know, conveniently overlooking, not only did the Saints beat them in the Dome, but they scalped them down in Tampa as well. But that seems to be a narrative that they don't actually want to take any notice of. If I'm being a bit salty, it's Saints fans do often think they get overlooked by the national media who seem to pat them on the head and, you know, pop them away it's one of these things, it's hard to beat a team for a third time in a season. I mean, coaches will tell you that. The fact that the Saints did so well down in Tampa gives me hope. My concern for the Saints comes uh, special teams. Uh, Morstead is not punting well. Lutz isn't kicking well. And that's where I think the Saints might have a problem. Uh, I'm comfortable with both the offensive and defensive lines. They've got to Brady uh, when they've had to. Um, and I don't see any reason why they can't do that again. Um, and once we get Antonio Brown bounced out for join with our cornerbacks, then it will be absolutely fine. Uh, it's, it's, I think this is going to be the closest game. It's arguably going to be the most nerve-wracking. However, I would like to point out that I would have been more worried last week in losing to the Bears, which would have been shambolic. Tampa have got talent. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And there is not a result in this game that would surprise me. The only thing I hope and genuinely pray, and I mean this absolutely sincerely, is I don't want any refereeing controversies or any dumb calls. If you know, if the Saints are going to lose this one, just lose it properly, you know, without any fuss or controversy, because I don't think we could take another bad bad call from a ref. When I think I can speak I think I speak for everyone when I say I hope the Saints lose, and I hope it's a horrendous <laughs> referee decision. Yes, it's the playoffs. It's meant was, to happen. I was like, "Who's you, the we here? Who's the we?" I was like, "You're not signing up." <laughs> you're just part of the national media cabal that's against the Saints. Go on, off your pop. Oh, it's always a conspiracy, isn't it? Oh, it's, de- it's definitely a conspiracy. There. I mean, I you know, I obviously follow a lot of the Saints Twitter stuff and things like that, and there is a genuine grievance, and has been for a number of years that because it's not the sexiest of places the biggest of places it does tend to get overlooked green bay doesn't really get the same although it's obviously smaller in size because it's a more storied franchise but there are some franchises that do get the the raw end of the stick and you get all the glamour and glitz coming elsewhere but the sense will be fine i'm fairly sure but yeah i don't want controversy the end i know you three do but i don't oh yeah we need content for next week or yeah. the week after 
or actually, I have to be honest. Of I would rather face New Orleans in in the championship game than Tampa because Tampa can blow hot and cold. Um, but Tampa frightened me with Brady and what they did to to Rogers and and the Packers earlier on the season. I wouldn't. I'm not frightened by the Saints. I have to be honest with you. The problem for New Orleans for me in this game, and I, I, before I go on, I have to say the fact that you're shiting it about the kicker and the punter. Frankly, you must be. You should be worried about more things than the kicker and the punter, if you ask me. The, definitely Drew, not. No. Drew, definitely Drew, not. Drew Brees' arm is the thing to concern. Oh, here, here we go again. It's the old. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Drew Brees' arm. Oh, jeez. They're not going to win this game, New Orleans, by relying on Alvin Kamara. Ultimately, Drew Brees has got to make plays in this game, and I hope he does, because I want to see him in Lambo in a couple a couple of weeks' time. I think. The biggest question is: Can can Tampa score a bucket load of points on a really good defense? If Tampa can score thirty or forty points, as they've shown they can do against a lot of teams this year, New Orleans—I don't know if they can keep up. That's my that's my play because I can't see New Orleans as a quick strike team going down the field and scoring quickly. I can't see them doing that. So if if New Orleans can control the game, control the ball, give it to Kamara, sprinkle a bit of breeze in there, they'll be fine. If Tampa decide to go off on one with their offense, I think there's trouble. I I, I think Brady is being hyped beyond belief in the media at the moment. He's had a couple of good games. He's had a couple of really, really terrible games as well. Uh, one of them against the Saints in Tampa, where they were absolutely honking. Now, you, your point is valid, Charles. He he went off on the Packers. He is as hot as cold as as can be. I'll take the Saints' consistency. Drew Brees. He's thrown a few passes in his time. He's thrown a few touchdowns in his time, and he's controlled a few games in his time. I'll take Drew Brees any day on this with a surrounding since, cast. Since week ten, Tom Brady's thrown twenty touchdowns and five interceptions. Rogers is the only quarterback who's thrown more. I don't think he's hot and cold. He's very much on a hot streak just now. And, and that matters how? Well, because that's not up and down. That's like on a hot streak. That's different I, I, from like he was good last week and bad this week. They, they, no, I don't think he's been particularly great in in the in the way forward. I don't think he's been the savior that they've necessarily been looking for. He's a good, solid, honest quarterback. They've pro- introduced another few plays to allow him to chuck it down the field as well. But they're not a team that can always score quickly. They've got the ability to do so, as do the Saints if they have to. I think the Saints showed what they wanted to do against Chicago. Take the time, take the time off the clock, keep the other team off the field, and you'll do enough. And I suspect that's how they're going to win it. It does not concern you that against Chicago, who frankly are anemic on offense, they we were Chicago were within four points towards the end of the third quarter. That would be, for me, a major concern that they don't have a firepower anymore. Not particularly. I didn't think the Saints were under any particular stress or threat against Chicago, and they played to their capabilities. I think it's a bit like Tampa were never under threat or stress against Washington, and Washington got close to them. I think you do what you have to do on the day to win those games. I don't think they're they're a, a tracker of things to come. Here's a stat I have. that This, this was my favourite stat coming into the season when we talked about how Brady was going to look in that offence. One of the things we track at PFF is turnover-worthy plays. The the record for most in a season was 40, and it was tied with Jameis, Andrew Luck, and Carson Palmer. And the thing they all had in common was it was their first year in the Bruce Arians offense. Tom Brady this year had 12 over 
12 turnover-worthy plays. It's almost a quarter than those guys had in their first season in that offense. This season, more than any other, has convinced me that at least until Patrick Mahomes gets a chance to pass him, Brady is the best quarterback that's played in the NFL. Okay, so some very interesting points here. I think bringing this back to a point Paul made very early on, it is rare for a team to be beaten three times by the same team in the same season. It has happened 17 times since 1950. Um, Tom Brady has never lost the same team three times in a season. The New Orleans Saints have never beaten the same team three times in an NFL season. The Tampa Bay Bucks have lost to the same team three times in an NFL season before. In 1997, they lost three times to the Green Bay Packers. So, um, yeah, I'm just throwing that in because it's facts. I don't have anything else to say. I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, the, the, the sparring that's gone on here. Uh, and I think that everyone's got valid points to make. Um, I worry for the Saints. I, I do think this is a big potential upset game for them. I think that... Would I be surprised to see a narrative coming out of this about Brady once again having the refs in his back pocket as they shaft the New Orleans Saints in the postseason? The curse continuing? Does that feel like something that we wouldn't read on Monday morning? I don't know. I, I'm not saying that I, I don't want Tampa to win. I would much rather see the Saints win this game. I think that Saints-Packers is more of a contest. I do agree with what you say, Charles. I think there's there's the, the, there's the chance that a rampant Tampa team can decimate a Packers team that I'm not convinced the Saints would do. Um, and, yeah, so I, I want to see the Saints win because I think a Saints-Packers championship game would be ding-dong. Uh, it would be really, really thrilling. But it's yeah. the game that the world wants to see. It is. Let's be honest. I don't think anyone wants to see. I don't think anyone wants to see Brady in another championship. No, game. sick of it. Nobody. Just it's done. Sick of it. And they're listen. That is. It's a manufactured operation here. This Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. You have to admire it, but they're stuffed full of ball bags. Yes. Aren't they? I don't want to see Antonio Brown in a Super Bowl. Nope. I don't want to see him. Nobody win wants one. that. <laughs> no. And this is why I kind of hope. I really kind of hope that Cleveland don't beat the Chiefs because I feel like the Chiefs are the one team that can definitely beat the box if it comes to a game in the Raymond James Stadium for the for the Super Bowl. So um it's yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting one for sure. But Mr. Mitchell, you're gonna lead off on this one. So who have you got for the pick six? Although it's a pick four this week, let's be honest. Right, it's a it's a pick four. I mean I think the, the teams match up, but you, I, I just had a look, you know, you look at the, the stats here. One quarterback in the games this year has had a 58.5 passer rating, two touchdowns and five interceptions against one quarterback that's a 119.2 rating, six touchdowns and zero interceptions. I'll go with the guy that's got the better rating. Saints one. Okay. Mr. Patterson. Uh, I'm going to go with what I want to see happen. And I think that the dodgy kicker, Will Lutz, is going to nail... The uh, the winning the winning field goal right at the end, oh, maybe in overtime. It. I think oh. it's going to be a close one, and Paul's nerves are going to be shot to bits. Are you going right, to sit I'm, up and watch it, Paul? Yeah, and I'm turning Live. off my turning off my phone so you buggers can't get at me. <laughs> Simple as that. I'm sorry. Thanks for me, definitely. Just, phone just. phone gone. Yeah, well, 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 it's fine. We could just turn up outside your house. Fanfare. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's not do that. It's COVID. Um, <laughs> Mr. McGuinness. Uh, I'm also going to take the better quarterback. 
which means I'm taking the Bucks. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a ball bag for ball bag's sake here. I don't think the Saints keep it within single digits. Oh, oh, burger bet. I want a burger bet. <laughs> I've I've given up so many. Someone else needs to give up some bloody burgers. So so the mistake I made last time with this bet though, and I, I was really close. Like the Packers were by far the better team in that game, and it wound up only being seven. That was garbage time though. That that was yeah. Mickey Mouse. That was like Chicago scoring last week. Do you know what? <laughs> I, I'll go. I'll go double or nothing. And so anything. Anything more than a nine-point win, so ten-point or more win for the Bucks. If the Bucks win by anything less than that, or the Saints win, then all you two burgers. If not, we're even. I'll take that any day. So ten double digit. So nine. A nine-point win would be two burgers to Paul. A ten-point win means. There's nay burgers passing hands between you two. Fine. Okay. I've got lots of burgers from Cameron, so I can afford to go <laughs> double or quits. Well, I've got, I've got the same. I've got a couple that I can I can use now. <laughs> you can see on my notes there, I haven't copied you, Gordon. I wrote it down right at the very beginning. I also am going for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in this. I don't want That's it. good. See, see that, this is perfect because this means on Monday morning, one of two things are true. I'm tied for the weed in the Peckham or the Ravens are in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> It's a good point. It's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, so yeah, I just, I just, I just. It. My thing's less about questioning the Saints because I'm not questioning the Saints at all. You're um, on the you're on the Buccaneers train. And you have been all season, and you've been throwing burgers at that train ever since the start of the year. So we fueling it. You, I've been fueling it with calories. You, we know who you should be backing. <laughs> um, but I just, I feel like I just, I don't know, I. It's Tom Brady's final season, I would imagine. This is his hurrah. I just don't think he loses to the same team for a third time. And I think that's an element to it. It really is an element to it. He's got to be proven a point. And he's done it so many times that he's got a point to prove. There's an extra edge to it because the, the Saints had won both games. Um, yeah, just I don't want it to happen. I genuinely don't want it to happen. I want to see the Saints progress. But um, I just, yeah, I'm worried that Tampa are going to do it. All right, move on from yeah. there. Any other news items tickling our fancy? There's a bit of uh, head coach moving, and there's a bit of head coach not moving. Uh, Charles, you want to start with that one? Yeah, um, I, as as a massive cheesehead, I'm delighted um, at the news that Matt Nagy is back as the Bears coach for 2021. And the GM, Ryan Pace, uh, he'll return as well. I mean, they made the playoffs, so you could argue it's been a successful season. But let's be honest, they made it as an 8-8 eight and eight team backing into... The Arnold Clark Real Sale. They were, as I used the word, anemic earlier on against New Orleans. There's no reason for them not to be anemic next season because, frankly, the same operation is back. And <laughs> the funniest part was the... The chairman, George McCaskey, coming out with the quote, I was impressed with both of them this season. Well, you are the only probably, probably the only person in Chicago who was impressed with the operation. The big question is, are they going to bring back Mitch Trubisky? And I think the quote from Ryan Pace today has been, we definitely need more out of the quarterback position. We know that. What does that entail? That's what this whole offseason is about. Everything is on the table right now. So it's as clear as mud, frankly. And if you're Mitch Trubisky, who, of course, is forever going to be known as the guy who um, was picked ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, um, and you're the number two pick, you're out of contract, 
you must be thinking, well, no one's going to tell me until I'm told. It's there's, they are absolutely as an organisation dysfunctional. They they move at the pace of a glacier, and I'm delighted that they're bringing back the same head coach and the same general manager because, in my view, nothing's going to change. And they had the chance to sign all sorts of people last season, the off season. And they signed Nick Foles, and he got benched. And they they persisted with Trubisky. Nothing in the way that they do their operations suggests to me that they're going to improve next year. Fair to say. Um, other sorry, Bears fans. <laughs> I, Gordon, what do the Bears need to do uh, under Nagy? What's he got to do and pace because it's on the both of them. So I actually think this season for the Bears coming up is almost like a lost season anyway. Like everyone made fun of the Trubisky thing, but the way they're set up against the cap and things like that, like they're probably not going to be able to go out and get a better quarterback uh, based on they finish the season strong enough to not pick high in the draft. The best case scenario for the Bears is probably a terrible season next year. Let's assume they lose Allen Robinson, who would be out of his mind to stay in Chicago at this point. Um, the offense is probably not going to do anything. You can't really count on a defense to consistently save you in the NFL these days. So the best thing for them, I think, is have a poor season, finish with a top five pick, and then restart and reload with uh, a whole new setup. New head coach, new quarterback, probably a new general manager as well. Paul, there's an article on NFL.com which is discussing all of the uh, available head coaches positions, uh, talking about the pros and cons of each of those as we move away from Chicago and the fact there's not a change there right now. Of those coach jobs that are available, which one do you think is the best and which one do you think is the worst? I think the charge for me is probably the most attractive. I think they've got talent, they've got a young quarterback and they had a coach who simply wasn't good enough when it came to the crunch. You know, bad game handling, poor special teams, you know, unable to get his team across the finishing line. I think everything's in place there for them to do better. It's a tough division, without doubt, but you could argue all divisions move at some point and become tougher, less tough. Uh, so I think that that is the most uh, entertaining job. Uh, the Jets' job remains just a shit show because nothing else has changed around there. You're going to have to come in and you've got to make a decision whether you're going to keep Darnold, whether you're going to draft a quarterback you know, with, with your early picks. You then live and die with a rookie quarterback, presuming that you move Darnold on. Darnold potentially can be a success somewhere else uh, because he's been mismanaged. If somebody can tune him and get him a more simplified playbook to start, I think that could be the difference. So I think the Jets, because I'm not sure what your path to redemption is, you don't have enough talent on the line to keep a rookie quarterback upright. And how can you ride through... Your, your debut season. I think that that's the hardest job. Now, I know from Chaddy to Gordon, he thinks that Doug Peterson, that could be a landing spot for him. Yeah, I think there's the connection with Peterson and Joe Douglas as the general manager there. I, I can go either way with the Jets job. Traditionally, they have not been good, but they do have a high draft pick. They do have a ton of cap room. Still, I mean, it's not New York, but it's New York. So, you know, you're going to have people interested in being there. The right head coach 
in in a division that now no longer has Tom Brady and the Patriots as well. So the Bills are the emerging team there, but the Bills don't fill you with the same dread that two decades of Tom Brady and the Patriots do. So I think the Jets' job can be a really good job if you're a good coach. Um, the job, I think, that is terrible, even if you are a good head coach, is Houston. Mm. Because you don't have draft picks. You don't have salary cap room. There's a very good chance you don't have Deshaun Watson at this point in time. Um, the, the the whole setup there whereby he was told he was going to be involved in, you know, deciding on shortlist for the general manager, all those things, and then that never happened. That, that's just a, a disaster waiting to happen in there. Um, and they're at the point where it's a no-win situation for the Texans because if you keep Deshaun Watson you're going to have to find a way to turn it around when the rest of the roster is bare and you don't have the picks to do it and you don't have the cap room to sign players. If you trade away Deshaun Watson, you're trading away a, a top five quarterback in the NFL who's still got probably a decade left to play. So you're either keeping him there unhappy and probably struggling to build around him or you're getting rid of him and your odds on getting a quarterback better than him are pretty slim. I think um, I, I agree with you to a certain extent, but actually... Houston are the team that theoretically you could bounce back quickly with because yep. you've got Deshaun Watson. Well, let's say for talking's sake, he stays, the head coach that comes in is someone that he's happy with. He, this is a guy who's a, he's top shelf, top tier. He can win games on his own. They actually were pretty close to winning a number of games that they'd lost. And fair enough, I think it was a 4-12 and season. You can turn that very quickly into a six, seven win season at the drop of a hat. And then I don't think that the AFC South is that strong a division. I mean, they were the number four seed, number seven seed this year. Um, you've got Tennessee who, who, you know, who, who are clearly an offensive powerhouse, but, you know, c- couldn't catch a cold defensively. You've got Indianapolis who are going to have long-term questions about their quarterback. And then you've got Jacksonville who are the worst team in the league, who are, also obviously looking for a head coach and is a really interesting vacancy because they've got the number one draft pick and they've got good young players such as DJ Chart and Miles Jack. Um, they've got lots of rebuilding to do. So actually Houston, although it's got so many problems upstairs, actually someone might look at that and go, right, do you know what? If we're going to keep Watson, one year rebuild, boom, you could be back in the playoffs in two years time with Houston quite easily because of the, the talent. He's the best player in that division. He's better than Derek Henry. He's better than Ryan Tannehill, and he's better than any defensive player on the Indianapolis Colts. So, if you've got the best player in the division, you stand half a chance of winning it. Yeah, the fact. I, th- I think it would be very interesting. I mean, and Gordon's right. They said he would be involved for the the selection process, and they've appointed a GM without him. I mean. I think they've got to go. If Deshaun Watson is going to stay, he has to have a say in who the coach is going to be. You don't want to transfer all your power to Deshaun Watson, but he has to be 100% happy with who you're bringing in. Because if he, if you can do that, because he will then transmit that to the rest of the locker room and you get people on side, you bring in a coach that he doesn't fancy, then I, I don't think there's any choice. He will. He will engineer a move if he possibly can. or And if he can't, you're going to have an unhappy camper uh, to start with. And it's not a good start for any coach. I don't care who you are if your locker room's not with you. If you're going to trade him, that's the question. What would you want to get for him? That's the other problem. As much- what would Houston be looking for? Three, three first round picks? Something like that? 
I'm going to Miami if I'm Houston. And I'm basically going to refund. I, I want a refund on the first round pick I gave you. Give me number three overall. Give me, what is it, 18 overall? Give me your first round pick next year and give me two. And you can have Deshaun Watson. And at that point, you've got the draft picks. You've also got a shot at quarterback. And I don't think, if I was the Dolphins, I would, I would take a quarterback at three anyway. But the Texans then have a choice. You can either take a quarterback at three or use your two first round picks to try and build around Tua. If Tua doesn't have it, you're probably going to find yourself picking there fairly soon again afterwards. I mean, if I'm Houston, I don't know that I would do that. But if you have to weigh up the pros and cons, if you're a new general manager who, you know, weigh up the pros and cons of how much time are you going to get to rebuild? And you're not going to get a lot. And I, I, I it's almost at the I point where... I think you get where, a lot. Yeah. I think you will get a lot. This guy, it's, it's, you know, he's, a top, he's one of the top 10 players in the league. You yeah. will get a lot. Yeah. That's it. And I think it, it's, it's, it would be a blockbuster trade, but... Is it is it a win-win for both teams? I think it would be, potentially, if he's completely cut his ties with the organisation. The salary cap situation in Houston as well looks like they're going to be $18 million over. Now, obviously, there's situations in there where they might save a bunch of money because J.J. Watt's probably going to move on. He doesn't want to be part of a rebuild and what have you. But actually, if you do get rid of Watson, you get a quarterback that's coming in that you can help develop for a couple of years and you, you don't have to worry about that massive hit on the salary cap that Watson's given you. Um, which means you can go and get young players to add to your team and maybe add some other talent out of free agency to try and you know, you're not going to be as exciting as you were with Deshaun Watson, but you've probably got a better chance at being relevant, adding in a couple of young rookies, keeping some of the players that are there that are coming out of contract. There's problems on defense for the, the Texans that need to be sorted. There's problems at wide receiver. There's not really a great running back. There's The O-line's got questionable gaps in it. Uh, so I can't believe I can't believe the Houston Texans have got problems at wide receiver. If only they had one of the best <laughs> wide receivers in football that they could have had around. I, I think as well the question is whether or not Watson is traded because that would be the blockbuster. I'll be surprised if JJ Watts there in September. Yeah. Someone will pay him. Um, and I think he wants to go somewhere else and thrive. And that's, I think, fair enough. He's given everything to that franchise. He's given everything to the city. Um, and I think he deserves the opportunity. It's interesting. I think that the Chargers, yeah, Paul kicked off with this. I think the Chargers is the best job available right now. There's so much talent. There's so few bits you need to fix in theory. You've got to hope that some of those injured players come back. Um, Jacksonville does feel like a really interesting job. But I, I think the Jets could be if, you're, if you get good choices from the Jets. They could they could develop quite a lot in a short period of time. Um, it's I'll not... tell you one job you don't want. Detroit Lions. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely horrible. Lions and Eagles. I'm not even sure I want the Eagles. Um, I think that they're so, they're so over the salary cap. And my worry for the Eagles is they've got talent, but they've been so banged up for so long now. Are they ever going to come back and be 100%? Um, you know, there's so many of these players have, have been injured that I just start to think, oh, God. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, you know, you look at somewhere like Jacksonville, you you feel like you're a couple of pieces away there from having a really good team. You're, you're right, DJ Chark. James Robinson was an absolute find. Uh, Josh Allen in their defensive line. Um, CJ Henderson had a really good year as well and at cornerback. But there's there's gaps. I think at linebacker, Miles Jack's really good. Uh, Joe Schobert's a really good linebacker as well. Um 
the O-line needs fixed a bit. And uh, there's so many teams you can say that off. But I feel like you could go into Jacksonville with 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 their 70-plus million space, with their two first-round picks, uh, and actually really take a massive step forward. I've got, I've, got, I've got breaking news oh. as a... As, as a change, not when the, not after we finish the podcast, uh, Jared Valdir will not be the first player to play for two teams in the NFL playoff oh. in the same playoffs. Uh, he has tested positive for COVID, so he's oh. on the COVID list. <laughs> oh, nightmare! Oh dear. So yeah, that's uh, the very that's thing. That that gave him the opportunity to make history has whipped it away. Oh, Jesus, you couldn't write it. Well, sorry, Paul, I know you hate that crap. Um, Because you could write it, because someone's just written it down. But, oh, honestly, right. <laughs> oh, I should got... laugh, that's such a shame, but holy... I, you, oh, it's ridiculous. We, we've, we've got the Joker on the podcast. Sorry, I just, <laughs> just want to make it clear that I'm laughing at the absurdity of the situation. Absolutely, it's not funny that he's got COVID, and I wish him a speedy recovery. Um, obviously, we want to make sure that nobody else picks up this horrible, horrible virus. But just the absolute absurdity. You just this season. Gee oh was. Can, can I just can oh, I just say man. something about Jacksonville? Sorry. I am so tired of hearing how good Jacksonville are going to be. They're always yeah. a season away from being a season away from being good. So uh, Cleveland. Yeah, but Jacksonville are more tiresome. I don't think we necessarily believe Jacksonville will be longer than Cleveland from you know the the hype that they've had, and it might just be because they're seen as a potential London team and all that sort of nonsense. But I get I get a bit tired of the Jags. I think the one thing that the Jacks need to be wary of is Trent Bulk for me is not a good general manager. He's in there in the interim basis at the moment, uh, and and I think that. Uh, Tony Khan has said that he will retain some influence on the roster and stuff like that. They need to get rid of that nonsense. They need to get a really good general manager in and sort the front office out as well as the head coaching position because if they keep tinkering with people who don't really know what they're doing, they're not going to make the steps forward. Um, but I would, I, I genuinely think if they could just do it right. But I, I, you're right, Paul. I feel like I've been saying this for years. Um, and, you know, I look forward to, to more chats about what we're going to call them when they move to London. You know, it's a conversation I thoroughly enjoy. Um, and I, I look forward to d- discussing it at great length uh, during the summer. Good morning football being a good team and the Jacksonville Jaguars <laughs> coming to London are just the two of the biggest tropes in the NFL. Oh. Let's, you're, a, let's, you're a troll. Let's move on. I, I know, I know. That, that's probably about all we've got time for, though. <laughs> oh, God. Right, yeah, that. Um, anything else? No, no we're fine. We're that's... fine. See you, next, see you next week for the uh, the Saints-Packers. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bumper one, but that's the full-time whistle for a hundred episode 132. Thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, please share your thoughts on this episode and any episode uh, on social media at Scotland NFL on Twitter and search for us on Facebook by looking up NFL Scotland if your team's in the playoffs this weekend I hope they're kind to you because it really is it's crunch time in the NFL and Cameron can just sit with his feet up and enjoy all the games thanks for listening to the NFL Scotland podcast do check out our website enjoy what's sure to be some great football this weekend for Gordon for Charles for Cameron and myself until we're back next week thanks for listening bye for now